Today we are in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 24. You know, the section's really 24 to 28. I, I, my notes say here we're going to preach 24 to 27, but actually we're really just going to focus in on verse 24, Matthew 16. But let's start reading in verse 21. So Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, last week we looked at verses 21 to 23 where we saw that Jesus began to show his disciples. He began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things, and that he would be killed. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and be killed. And you remember that Peter didn't like that idea. He rebuked the Lord, or at least he began to rebuke the Lord. Peter was setting his mind on the things of man rather than the things of God. Jesus had a path that was set for him by his Father, and Jesus was determined to do his Father's will. He was going to suffer and die to pay for our sins in Jerusalem. And now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to teach his disciples to follow him. He's going to teach them to set their minds on the things of God and to set their minds on God's way. And that way is a way of suffering. It's a way of losing one's life. It's a way of denying oneself. It's a way of following the same path that Jesus walked. It's the way of the cross. The message that our Lord gave that day is, is a, a difficult message. This message is a difficult message. It's, it's really a death sentence. It's a death sentence. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Lose your life for my sake. This is the demand of discipleship. This is the cost of following Jesus Christ. And this is difficult to teach because I wonder if we really believe the Lord on this point. 
What would you say if we could ask you this morning before this message, before this text, what would you say is required for someone to follow Jesus Christ? What would you say is required? When you think about following Jesus, where do you think of following him to? Maybe we could put it that way. Where do you follow him? Well, I think often we think of following him to heaven, following him to glory, following him to the Father, and those things are all true and they are right. But before all that, we're to follow him in suffering, we're to follow him in sacrifice, we're to follow him in death. Again, what's required to follow Jesus? Perhaps we, we might say that, well, one must have faith, one must believe. And again, you're right on that point. It is by faith. Salvation is by faith. But we need to go deeper and we need to ask, what will this faith look like? What's this faith going to result in? To keep in the bounds of our passage, we could quote the words again of verse 27. Saving faith believes that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so saving faith results in a life that corresponds with what Jesus lays out here in these verses. Saving faith is a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ that causes one to follow him and to be a disciple of his. And according to Jesus, here's what anyone who would come after him must do. Verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, I think sometimes we come to a passage like this and we read it as though it said, here's my recommendation if you want to be my disciple. Or if anyone wants to be a great disciple, then let him do these things. Or if anyone wants to be a disciple with a great reward in heaven, then you should do X, Y, and Z. But that's not at all what Jesus says. As we will see, these are commands. This is what is necessary if anyone would follow Jesus Christ. And following Jesus or being a disciple of his is not some advanced form of Christianity. That is Christianity. Being a disciple is Christianity. And we've looked at discipleship over and over again as we've gone through Matthew in our study of Matthew. I think we could call Matthew the gospel of discipleship. This gospel began, you remember, in chapter 4 and verse 17. And and you could flip with me if if you wanted to here. Jesus From that time, this is the same thing that we have in our section there, from that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And what we see already at the very beginning of this gospel is that repentance and following Jesus go hand in hand. Repentance and discipleship go hand in hand. The Sermon on the Mount then taught us what repentance looks like or what the kind of person, the, the kind of person who would enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that sermon was a message in chapter five and verse one to his disciples. 
And in verse 19, he says to them of chapter 5, whoever does them. Sorry, it was, let me, let me start over again. It was, it was a sermon that stressed righteousness. A sermon that stressed obedience in verse 19 to the least of these commandments. And in verse 19, Jesus goes on and he says, but whoever does them, whoever does the least of these commandments, these commandments from this sermon on the mount, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that sermon ended in chapter 7 and verse 24, where Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In 721, Jesus said that the person who will enter the kingdom is the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. In chapter 8 and 9, we saw that Jesus' miracles and we saw who he was, but there was those two sections in there on discipleship. And in chapter 10, and I want you to go ahead and turn there right now, chapter 10, we remember that message on missions, where Jesus told his disciple about the missions, the mission that he had for them. And in that context, we saw that we would be like sheep in the midst of wolves, that we would be delivered over to courts, that we would be flogged in their synagogues, that we would be dragged before governors and kings for Jesus' sake. And we saw there that Jesus expected our goal in life to be to serve him as witnesses, even beyond our own personal comfort, even in the face of hostility. And in verse 21 of chapter 10, Jesus said, brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And so we are to be like Jesus, even to the point of being falsely accused and persecuted like he was. Look at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And we are to acknowledge him before men, even if it creates hostility in our families. Look at verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now our text is really an expansion of what we've already seen in verse 38 there of chapter 10. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy 
of me. And so Matthew 16, 24 is really a, a fuller expansion of verse 38. And Matthew 16, 25 is almost identical to what we see in chapter 10 and verse 39. And then Matthew 26 and 27 give reasons why it's true, according to verse 39 of chapter 10, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our text kind of gives reasons why that's true, or to go back to our text and look again at verse 25, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so Matthew has covered these themes again and again. And if I can be permitted to speak boldly and, and candidly for a few minutes, I'm, I'm afraid that we aren't seeing the seriousness of passages like these. Our text says that if whoever it is, whoever would save his life or save her life, they will, they will lose it. Verse 26 says they will forfeit their soul. They will forfeit their soul. And these things should make us tremble. They should make us tremble. And I believe that faithfulness requires me to get into something here a little bit that, that might be un, a bit uncomfortable for us. But these past nine months, we've seen about 90 people leave our church. And there's various reasons for that and, and various reasons were given when reasons were given, but the vast majority of people have left because for some reason they don't want to be immersed in a public ceremony where they acknowledge Christ and His salvation in their lives. And there was generally speaking a lack of willingness to study the scriptures. Now, I'm just, I'm talking very generally here, and this is not true in every single case, but, but generally speaking, there's been a lack of willingness to study what the scriptures teach on baptism, to discuss it with their pastor, or even with a pastor, and there's been an unwillingness to share any reason or reasons that people had for not being baptized. Oftentimes even not even being willing to share and discuss this with their friends. And the conclusion that I've come to is that people did not want to be persuaded to do something that would displease their family or their friends. Or perhaps impact their work situation or in some other way that would impact their life. And they didn't want to be challenged to obey the commandment of Jesus Christ or allow themselves to be persuaded that he commands something different than what they already believed. And instead of remaining with us and searching the scriptures, they decided that they would, they would not be baptized and they left. Now again, this is not every single individual. This is just generally speaking my assessment on the vast majority, and, and I, I can't actually get more specific than that because in, in almost, in, in so many cases, people weren't even really willing to tell me why they left. Now, I know that even as I say that, it's awkward for some of you because there's some here that are still kind of searching the scripture and, and you're examining, is, is this true? Is this biblical? Is this what I really should do? And I, I want to commend that and I want to thank you for remaining at our church and seeking to search the scripture because because that's what we need to do, and I think that's great, and I think that's awesome, and, and we have 
time and patience for you as you wrestle with these things? But what I want you to see is is really two things here. First of all, number one, I think it's helpful for you just to kind of understand what's been happening, what generally speaking has been happening in our church. But, but two, and this, this really comes to the, the, the issue in our text here. Number two, and again, this might not apply to some of you. And, and if, if it doesn't apply to you, that's awesome. If it does apply to you, then, then think about it. But, but really, I'm talking about people that have left our church already. Two, it would seem that people are seeking to save their life. Whether it's their family, whether it's friends, whether it's their reputation, whether it's their perceived witness in the community, whether it's their job, whether it's their income, whatever it is, there's this, this seeking to save of the life, to save their family, their friends, their reputation, their identity, whatever it is, their income, their job, but there's no concern in doing that about their soul. There's no fear of disobedience or of possible disobedience if you, if you're not convinced, right? There's, there's this possibility of disobedience. And it reminds me of Romans 3.18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And there seems to be at times this idea that, that we can be disciples of Jesus Christ And we can kind of pick and choose what we will or will not do. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that that Jesus demands his disciples to follow him and obey him. And what Jesus demands of his disciples is really nothing less than the complete surrender of our lives to lose them for his sake, even unto death, if that is his will. We are to take up our cross and follow him. We're to live for his sake and follow his commandments. And what we'll see in our text today then as we get into this is three characteristics of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Three characteristics of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And first of all, a true disciple must have the resolve to follow Jesus Christ. A true disciple must have the resolve to follow Jesus Christ. That's the first part of verse 24. Secondly, a true disciple must follow the requirements of Jesus Christ in the rest of verse 24. And that's really all we're going to get to today. Then there would be a third point that we're going to come to next week. A true disciple must understand the reasons for following Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to give us some reasons why what he says in verse 24 is true, and that's going to be in verses 25 to 27. And so a true disciple must understand the reasons for following Christ. And we're really going to need to, to cling to those reasons if we're going to follow through on the requirements. But we're going to look at them uh, under each of these headings. We're going, to, we're going to put the headings this way. First of all, we'll see the resolve to follow Christ. Secondly, the requirements of following Jesus Christ. And then next time, the reasons for following Jesus Christ. And these are going to allow us to examine ourselves and they're going to show us what the Lord would have us be and what he would have us do. And they're going to motivate us and propel us in our discipleship. They're going to help us to follow Jesus Christ according to his word. And by extension, these will show us the greatness and the worth 
and the value of Jesus Christ because if he is, if, if it's worth living this way for his sake, then he must be exceedingly great. See, he knows, even if we don't know, that he is worth following and that his reward is more than worth whatever cost we must pay in this life. And so let's go, first of all, let's see the resolve to follow Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24 again. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, and we're just going to stop right there. If anyone would come after me, and notice, first of all, that that Jesus speaks to his disciples. He told his disciples. Jesus had just rebuked Peter because Peter was a stumbling block. He was getting in the way of Jesus. He was getting in the way of Jesus doing the Father's will. And then Jesus calls the disciples to himself and he's going to instruct them in following him. And they too, what we're going to see here is that they too are not to allow anyone or anything to get in the way of their obedience, just like Jesus would not allow Peter to be a stumbling block to him. And Jesus begins here by by focusing on the desires. If anyone would, is literally, if anyone wants, if anyone wishes, if anyone has the desire, the word means to have a desire for something. And it's used of God's will or God's purpose. And here it's of the disciples' will or purpose. That same word is used again in verse 25 where Jesus says, for whoever would save his life, whoever desires to save his life. And what we can draw from that is that discipleship involves an exercise of the will. One commentator said that there are choices to be made. There are choices to be made in following Jesus. And so if anyone would, if anyone has this desire. Now there's some good news here for us. There's there's the, the word there, anyone. And this is an open invitation then for us. If anyone would want this, if anyone wants this life, then here's clear instructions to you. And if you want to follow Jesus, then, then here is the way. And it doesn't matter what your life looked like before this moment. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how severe your sin or how many sins you have committed. It doesn't matter how stubbornly you clung to your sin before this moment. All will be forgiven if you would follow Jesus Christ today. And so there's this open invitation. Another bit of good news here is that by grace, we can be made willing to follow Jesus Christ. We're just kind of harmonizing Scripture on this point. By grace, we can be made willing to follow Jesus Christ. And when we look at what we're going to look at in the rest of verse 24, we're going to see that nobody, apart from divine grace, would want to live this life. Nobody is willing for this except for God supernaturally makes them want to follow Christ. Nobody would give up their life unless the Lord opened their eyes to the beauty of Jesus Christ and the greatness of following Him. But the Lord is able to make us want what we see in verses 24 to 27. Psalm 110 verse 3 says, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. You see, our natural desire is to save our life. Our natural desire is to gain the world. Our, our natural desire is to love the world and love 
ourselves, but grace teaches us to love the one who died for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and again, I don't know if you want to turn with me to that one, but that's a, a great passage here. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, Paul put it like this. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so if we see in ourselves a desire to come after Jesus and to live as he describes in what follows, it's a good sign of God's grace in our lives. Do you have a desire to serve the Lord Jesus, to live for him? Do you have a desire to do His will and the will of the Father even unto death? I love how Jesus put it in Matthew 6.24 when He said that no one can serve two masters for either He will hate the one and love the other or He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so do you desire to serve God? Do you desire to love God? Do you desire to be devoted to Him? then you have the resolve to follow Jesus Christ. God, by His grace, has worked in your life and given you the resolve to follow Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing, the resolve to follow Christ. But now let's look at the requirements, number two, the requirements of following Jesus Christ in the rest of verse 24. A true disciple not only has the resolve to follow, the desire to live for him, but he or she also must follow the requirements of Christ. And let's look at it in the rest of verse 24. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow follow me. If you would come after Jesus and be a disciple... Even as Peter and Andrew did in 4.19, where the wording is very similar there, actually the same, almost the same wording. Here's what Jesus requires, and there's three commandments here, three commandments, three requirements, we can call them. If you want to come after Jesus Christ, then here it is. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. And number three, follow him. And these are commands in the Greek text, but they're, they're in a form that doesn't quite carry over into English. And so that it's translated, let him, let him, let, let him could be translated, he must. And so these are commands to this whoever, whoever would come. These are commands, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And these must be done. Otherwise, you cannot come after Jesus and you will not come after Jesus. These things must be done. And Jesus gives us really here in this passage, he gives us one way to come. One way to come. It's open to anyone, but they must do these three things. First of all, such a one must deny himself. Deny himself. To deny means to refuse to acknowledge or to refuse to recognize. And the ultimate example of of this word, I think, is Peter, who denied not himself, you remember, he denied the Lord. And so let's go look at Peter denying the Lord, and let's see how that applies to denying ourselves. Go to Matthew 26, starting in verse 34. 
Jesus said to him, that is to Peter, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. But then we skip down to verse 70. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crows. Sorry, I got into the wrong verse there. Immediately the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so Peter adamantly denied that he knew the Lord. And we are to deny ourselves. When used of oneself, the word comes to mean to act in a wholly selfless manner. It's to lay down the desires of oneself in order to serve the Lord. And we say to our old man, we say to the person that we once were, I do not know the man. When he comes with his desires, we tell ourselves, I don't, I don't know the man. I don't know the person that I once was. We say to ourselves that there once was a man who lived in this body, who lived for himself and for the world and was captive to the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And he did the will of himself and he did the will of Satan, but I no longer acknowledge the man. That man was crucified with Christ. That man died and a new man was born again. I'm a new creature in Christ and I have nothing to do with my old ways or my old self. And so I deny the remnants of the man that I once was. I deny the flesh and its desires to seek the world and to find pleasure in sin. Because I have a new master now, and so I deny the old master. And we saw last week that that Peter was was kind of taken captive in in two ways. One by Satan and and one by his own thoughts. And and that's an example then for us that, that we are to deny our own human thinking, our own thoughts, and even Satan and anything really, again, that would would get in the way of us following the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And the best positive example of this really is is our Lord Jesus Christ who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was absolutely committed to doing the Father's will. John 4, 34, Jesus said to his disciples, my food is is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Jesus had just told His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed, but He didn't try to save Himself. And we too need to take up this attitude that we are here to serve the Lord. We are here to follow the Lord. We are here to do His will. We must deny ourselves. But then secondly... 
If we would come after Jesus, which again means to be a disciple of his, then we must take up our cross. We must take up our cross. There's some confusion about what that means today, but the original hearers, the original readers of Matthew, it wouldn't have confused them at all. You know, sometimes we talk about taking up our cross in the sense of bearing a burden or enduring a difficulty or putting up with a difficult person. I'm going to bear the cross. But that's not the way that the saying was used in Jesus' day. The only people who took up their crosses were those who were sentenced to death by persecution, by, by crucifixion. And like Jesus did, these rebels against Rome, they were made to carry the crossbeam through the streets to the place where the vertical beam was waiting for them in the ground. And so they would carry their horizontal cross piece to the place where the vertical piece was in the ground. And the horizontal beam of the cross would be tied to their arms over, over their back behind their head. And then they were marched through the town. Often they were whipped and beaten and then marched through the town, really paraded through town. Often uh, dressed very scantily, often humiliated through town to the place where they, where they and their cross were going to be attached to the vertical beam. And then sometimes they were nailed to that cross that they were already tied to through their wrists and through their ankles. Again, they were often whipped and beaten, but however it was done, they would hang on that cross until they died. And so when Jesus says he must take up his cross, he means that we're signing up for death. We're signing up for death. We aren't, we aren't talking about a metaphorical death here either. We're not, we're not talking about some hypothetical death where, as in like death to self or dying to our old way of life. We're talking literally, he's talking to his disciples here in verse 21. He just told them that, that, that he would be killed and they are going to follow him. And that means that, that they're going to be killed as well. What happens if you follow a guy who goes to his execution? Most likely, you also are going to go to your execution. And so they're going to be killed as well, very likely. In verse 28, Jesus says, if you look at it, if you're, I guess we're not at our passage, go over to Matthew 16 again and look at verse 28. He says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And the death that He's talking about is the death of martyrdom. John MacArthur said, A cross is not having an unsaved husband, nagging wife, or domineering mother-in-law, nor is it having a physical handicap or suffering from an incurable disease. To take up one's cross is simply to be willing to pay any, cr- any price For Christ's sake, it is willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake, end quote. Again, we already saw in chapter 10 that brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, losing one's life for Jesus' sake could mean literally being put to death. 
And when we put these two together to deny yourself and to take up your cross, we get this picture of a complete renunciation of oneself and one's life, even to the point of death for Christ. And again, that's what Jesus demands. And that's what Jesus is worthy of. And what that means practically is that in verse Matthew 6.33, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means Matthew 5.16 that we're to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. It means that we do what we do to glorify God. It means that we put his interests above our own, that we put his church and his people and his purposes first in our lives. It means that our food is to become the, to do the will of him who sent us. And we see ourselves as, as missionaries in this world to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We see ourselves as his servants in the midst of a wicked and perverse world. And whatever the cost in this world, we bear it and we look forward to our reward in heaven in the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's kind of a sense of what, what this would look like practically in our lives. It means we're just servants of the Lord and we see ourselves in that way. Now the final requirement in verse 24, if anyone would come after Jesus, he must follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And this final command changes now to the present tense. And the present tense sees this action as a continuous thing. We must continually, constantly, habitually follow Jesus Christ. To follow him means to be a disciple of his, which means to learn from him. Jesus is asking for a constant commitment to grow in our knowledge and in our practice. We are disciples. We are learners. We're going to learn from him. And of course, the disciples that Jesus is talking to in Matthew 16, they're, they're literally going to follow him around. And they're going to see what he did, and they're going to hear what he said. And the, the idea was for them as disciples, as it was for all disciples in the ancient Near East, the, the idea was for them to, to watch their master and learn from their master and learn to think like him and learn to act like him. And so the idea was that they were literally going to follow him around and learn to become like Jesus Christ. Now, we can't literally follow Jesus around, but really our goal is the same. Our goal is the same. Our goal is to be like him. Our goal is to think like Jesus thought. Our goal is to do what Jesus did, to act how Jesus acted. Of course, we're not the Messiah, but, but you get the idea that we're following his pattern of life. And to do that, to follow Jesus, to kind of continually do this, we have multiple aids in our life. First of all, salvation makes us new creatures in Christ. And we are born again and we are made alive with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. And as such, we have new desires and we have a new ability to obey that we didn't have before. And so salvation equips us and fits us for following Christ. And it gives us this desire to be followers of, of him that we saw in the first point. Another aid that we have is that we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out, conforming us to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, and He shows us Christ. And as we behold Christ, we are transformed 
into the same image, into his image by the Spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so the Holy Spirit is another aid for us. A, A third aid for us is the Word of God. And this is the primary place where we behold Christ. It's in the Word of God. And the Word of God teaches and reproves and corrects and trains us in righteousness. The Word of God renews our minds and washes our souls from the filth of the world. And the Spirit uses the Word to renew our minds, and by it, He changes our desires. And again, this is an an inside-out transformation, not an outside-in transformation. Our minds and our wills are changed by the Holy Spirit through the Word. And as our minds and our wills are changed, then our actions and our words change as well. Another aid in following Jesus and becoming like Him is prayer. Because of our salvation and because of the work in the, of the Spirit in our lives, and because we're being renewed in the Word of God, we're, we're learning the will of God and we learn how to pray and, and God answers our prayers and we can come to the Lord through Jesus Christ. We come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit and we bring our requests to Him. And even just spending time in prayer makes us like Jesus. But God promises even more than that just to answer our prayers as well, to answer our prayers and to make us fruitful in prayer. And in that fellowship with God in prayer, we behold the Father and we behold the Son and we are transformed into His image again by the work of the Holy Spirit. Another aid in following Jesus is sincere brothers and sisters who are themselves following Jesus. And so we see Christ in one another. And we are challenged and we are spurred on by the example of faithful believers who love the Lord. And when we see Christ-like attitudes and actions kind of flowing from their lives in the lives of our brothers and sisters, we're encouraged to imitate them as they imitate Christ. Hebrews 3.13-15 says, Exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. And so we're to exhort one another about the dangers of sin and to follow Christ. Hebrews 10.24 Again, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we help one another to follow Christ with our careful consideration of how to stir one another up by our example and by our exhortations and by reminders that the day is drawing near. And so we help one another. A sixth aid in following Jesus, if, if anyone's keeping count here, is God's providence. God's providence. And for that, I want you to turn to Romans 8.28. God is in control of our circumstances. He's in control of every circumstance of our lives, and He works them together for good. And the good in that passage is conforming us to Christ. And so Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so if we love God, and we are called according to his purpose, that is, if we are saved, all things, every circumstance of our lives, works together to conform us to the image of God, to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good times, that's bad times, that's trials, that's times of peace, everything whatsoever that God ordains for us, all of it works together for our good. And through that, God conforms us to the image of his son. And so again, six aids in following Jesus, this ongoing continuous activity, salvation, the new birth, the new nature, number two, the Holy Spirit, Third, the word of God. Fourth, prayer. Five is fellowship or, or one another. We help one another. And sixthly, God's providence. And in that providence, we could even include his discipline that, that God works in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. And so we've seen today, number one, that a true disciple must have the resolve to follow Christ. And it's a desire granted by grace to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, a true disciple must follow the requirements of Jesus Christ. And these were in the three commandments. If you want to follow, that's good. But now there's three things that must be done. First of all, you must deny yourself. Number two, you must take up your cross, even being willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, you must follow him continually, no matter where it leads, to follow Jesus Christ, which means to learn from him, to seek to be like him in every way in our lives. Now, next week, we're going to come back and we're going to look at this text and we're going to see the reasons that the Lord gives to to live for his sake. But in short, if we just want to kind of take some of these now and kind of give a teaser for what's coming in short, it's, it's to set our thoughts on eternity and not on this life. We need to have the big picture and look beyond the temporary things of this life and this world and look to the eternal dwelling with God and Christ in heaven. And now that we spent some time looking at this text, I want to bring you back to something that I wondered at the beginning. I said that it was a difficult message and I, I wondered if we really believe the Lord on this point. And I think if we think about it, I think in all of our lives, there's room to abound more and more in denying ourselves. There's room to abound more and more in taking up our cross, and there's room to abound more and more in following Jesus Christ. But what I want to say is that I've seen the cost that some of you have paid for your faithfulness and your obedience to Jesus Christ. And I've seen you bear the reproach even of just being part of our church of coming to a church where you feel that you can learn God's word and grow with your brothers and sisters who are committed to grow with you. And I've seen you be obedient in multiple areas when your family hasn't approved, even in some cases where they're refusing to talk to you. I've seen you graciously and patiently explain to friends and family that why you believe what you believe. You've been prepared to make a defense And you've done it with gentleness and respect. You've endured slander. You've been reviled. You've endured and persevered. You've been reproached for Christ's sake. You've denied yourself. You've took up your cross. 
And although you haven't died yet for his sake, you have the attitude of Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You followed Christ and sought his righteousness, and I want to remind you that the reward will be great. You've served the Lord diligently. You've worked hard for his glory in this local church, and you will be rewarded. And so I want to encourage you to keep going, keep striving, keep trusting God with the results, keep being obedient to him and and leave the results to him. And I, I know in many ways it looks like, as you kind of look at our church, it looks like we're going backwards. But we're never going to regret being faithful to do what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to do. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this challenging passage that you've given us here. And Father, all of us recognize how far we fall short of just taking up our cross, how often our self gets in the way, and how we allow other things, even whether it's the influence of Satan or the the human thinking of our own minds and hearts, to get in the way of doing your will and, and obeying Christ. And, and we just pray that you would help us, Father. Help us to live like this. Help us to give up our lives and, and serve you. Help us to forget about this wicked world around us and to f- set our hope and our hearts on heaven. We pray that you would help us to live in this way, to follow Christ in the way that he deserves and that through our lives, Many people would see and give glory to our Father who has worked this fruit in us by his salvation. And and we pray this, Lord, again, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.